Let's pray. Father, we give thanks to the Lord for He is good and His loving kindness is everlasting and it's forever. Lord, You've been so gracious to us and we've sung about that grace this morning, the wonderful grace of Jesus reaching the most defiled, Lord, that's me. And reaching to all the lost, that was us. But by His transforming power, we've been saved to the uttermost. Through the Lord Jesus Christ and to Him, we give all the glory. You have been so faithful to be gracious to us in the past. Oh, Father, teach us this morning to trust You for grace in the next moment, the next hour, the next day, the next surgery, the next inconvenience, the next bad report the next difficulty, the next temptation. Lord, we would glorify you with our lives. And so we ask you to equip us to do so this morning. And we ask it in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen and amen. I confessed to you last week before the sermon, I said I was going to finish chapter 10 unless the Lord came back. And the Lord, may the Lord smite me for my um, presumption. Uh, I enjoyed preaching that message so much that I uh, kind of got carried away a little bit and ran out of time. And so the Lord is teaching me what James said, don't ever say today or tomorrow we will definitely do this or that, but say as the Lord wills. And so, Lord willing, we're going to finish chapter 10 today. <clears throat> Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 10, verses 32 through 39, and follow along with me now as I read. But remember the former days when, after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the persevering of the soul. Last time in our study of Hebrews 1, I only preached half the text I intended to preach, as I said. The issue that we were addressing here, because I think the text is addressing it, is the reality that all of us experience difficulty. All of us experience hardship in this life. All of us face from time to time various trials. As Christians, we are not shielded from suffering. To the contrary, we are promised suffering. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And there will be a multitude of inconveniences because we are living according to the word of God for our joy and for His glory, rather than going with the flow of the world. The question is, 
How do you maintain a faith in the midst of that kind of suffering and tragedy? In some cases, disappointment, inconvenience. How do you develop an unshakable faith? And the author of Hebrews offers us two means by which we can develop an unshakable faith. And we discussed last time, verses 32 through 34, and we saw that the first step to having an unshakable faith is to remember God's former grace. Remember God's former grace. You look at verse 32, the controlling verb there, as we saw last week, is remember. It means to carefully think back, to reconstruct in your mind, to remind oneself of something in the past. The idea is that when we're facing difficulty or suffering, we are to think very carefully, not listening to our hearts, but speaking truth to our hearts, reconstructing in our mind what God has done for us in past situations like this, so that we will endure faithfully through this circumstance or temptation. Now, we don't know exactly what was involved in the suffering of these people, but we do know that they suffered in two ways. They suffered personally, and they suffered vicariously. We saw this last time. The text says that they suffered personally because they were made a public spectacle and reproach. They had been put to shame. They had been mocked. They had been vilified publicly. Beyond this, they also suffered vicariously because the people that they loved the most were suffering in ways that were greater than how they were suffering. Verse 33 says that they became sharers with others who were also treated like this, showing sympathy to some who had been put in jail. Nevertheless, though they suffered personally and vicariously, it was not blindly. They did it believing that God would be gracious to them for their sacrificial serving. They would give them the grace to do what God had called them to do in the next moment. Now, during Sunday school, we talked about the biblical teaching on forgiveness. And I said, this is the hardest thing, perhaps, in the Christian life, in the normal Christian life, perhaps aside from persecution. This is the most difficult thing to do. This is the difficult, most difficult thing that God asks you to do. Humble yourself before another sinner and say... I have sinned against you and against God, and will you forgive me? What we need to remember in that moment is God has been gracious in the past to give us everything we needed to do things for his glory in the past that we thought we could never do. He will give me what I need in the next moment to declare my sin and to request humbly for forgiveness. It's where the rubber meets the road, folks. We trust him for his former grace. We, by recalling the many times in our life when God was unmistakably gracious to us, at the moment of our greatest need, our faith in him is increased. And we're able to do what we thought we could never do. And by it, we build an unshakable faith by reconstructing in our mind the occasions when God stepped into our lives to give whatever we needed to walk faithfully through that dark and difficult day and do so victoriously, much to our own surprise and delight. Last week, you remember, I brought a whole stack of prayer journals that I have been using 
systematically since I left seminary. And the purpose was not only to give me a systematic approach to prayer for you and for my family, but the, the driving force behind that was to have a place where I could record answers to prayer, to record the times when I knew God had been gracious to me. And now I've got ten of these things, and I'm working on another one, ten of them that are a documented record of God faithfully again and again and again being gracious to me and my family in time of need. So how do you build an unshakable faith? This was the entire sermon last week. First, by remembering God's former grace. Now we're caught up to where we left off. Secondly, we build an unshakable faith by trusting God's future grace. Or trusting in God's promises of future grace. We not only remember the former grace, we trust Him for future grace. The grace that I need in the next moment. The grace I need right now to communicate these truths to you in a way that your heart can hear. Only God can do that. I must trust Him for His grace. Look at verses 35 through 37. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has had a great reward, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. Do not throw away your confidence. To throw away means to discard as a worthless thing that you have no further need of. Do not treat your confidence, your faith, in Christ as something that now you've reached a point of maturity where you don't need that anymore. If you get to that point, you're in serious trouble. You are in serious trouble. And oh, how many times have we seen and known people who had accumulated so much theological knowledge that they thought it would be okay for them to coast, that they were somehow above the truth that they had learned and have committed the most egregious sins this church has ever seen. We've seen this play out in real life before. A young man makes a profession of faith in Christ. He gets all excited about this newfound joy, that he was willing to take risks and suffer for God. But then after the suffering has taken its toll, perhaps they run into opposition with their parents or classmates or professors or friends. Some had even perhaps been arrested for taking a stand in front of an abortion clinic. When that was over, when they see the next wave of trouble coming, they're tempted to quit. They're tempted to draw back. They're tempted to throw away their confidence, to throw away their faith, to throw away the belief that says, God, in this next wave, what I'm about to face here, I know it's going to hurt. I know it's going to hurt. But I will be faithful. God, by your grace, help me not sin with my mouth. Help me to respond in a gracious way. Help me to admit what, it's tr what is true. Help me to trust you now to do what you would have me do. And when this happens, when we have forgotten, that's the content of what we have forgotten. We have forgotten two things. We've forgotten God's past grace 
and we have forgotten God's promises in terms of Him promising to be gracious to me in the next need, in the next moment. I know some of our flock have, over the past year or so, lost their job. What do you do then when the pressure is on? Just on the camp out this week, I've talked to a couple of brothers who were in that situation. And they vowed that they would be faithful to God in the midst of that. And it was as if God was just taking them on an uncomfortable detour to get them to the place of blessing where he really wanted them. Where he could really uh, unloose the windows of heaven of blessing in their lives. Not always like that. But it was their experience that God who had been faithful in the past would surely be faithful in the future. One brother told me, you know, we were praying that God would, would get us out of debt. God, we commit to, to getting out of debt. And what immediately happened? God, we're going to start praying right now that we get out of debt. And you know what happened immediately after? Lost his job. Lord, what is that? What kind of answer is that? But they chose to trust. And God brought them to a place exactly where he wanted to be. But it was through a road of hardship. In those moments, we must trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, right? The joy of the Lord is our strength. Even Jesus, for the joy that was set before Him, endured the cross. We know that there is reward. He has promised us reward. And so we pray, God, help us to be faithful. Help us to remember that he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Say, what are the all things? What do you need? What do you really need? You may need things that you don't think you need. God knows you need. And he's going to give them. And do we trust him in those times? You see, along with our faith in Christ comes the promise of great reward. Hebrews eleven twenty four through 26. Look at that with me, just across the page there, perhaps. 24 through 26. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to, endure, to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Look, look at verse 26. Considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. Considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. He wasn't going to be rewarded then, he knew. But God had promised. And God would be faithful. And flip a page, Hebrews 12, 2 and 3, I've already mentioned it, but look at this. Therefore, verse 1, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. See, endurance, perseverance, fixing our eyes on Jesus, verse 2, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He entered the joy. He entered his reward. What do such believers need in the moment when they feel like giving up? What do we feel? What do we need when we feel like 
Lord, I can't endure this. This is too hard. I know you've promised not to give me anything I can't handle, but it sure feels like I can't handle this. What do such believers need in that moment? We need endurance. Verse 36. For you have need of endurance. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. You must endure unto promise. You must endure unto the reward. What is endurance? Here's what endurance is. Endurance is a spirit which can bear all things, not simply with resignation, but with blazing hope. God, I trust you. I can't see hardly to take the next step, but I trust you. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. It's not the spirit which sits statically enduring in one place, but the spirit which bears things because it knows that these things are leading to a goal of glory. God's glory and mine. When the pressure's on, we must be careful that we not give up too quickly. We don't quit too soon. We don't give up the race before we cross the finish line. We need to endure like a marathon runner who doesn't give up until he's crossed the finish line. Yes, it's hard. Yes, there are difficulties along the way. Yes, there will be moments when you just want to quit. But remember, God has promised. Remember the riches of future grace. Remember the promised reward. Sometimes the promised reward is just getting there. Sometimes the promised reward is just looking back and saying, God, I can't believe you enabled me to continue and to finish well. I remember when I was in college, I had a, a roommate of mine who was in, in masterful physical shape, and I was not. He loved to run. I didn't realize at the time I had a slight case of asthma, and it was hard. It hurt, it hurt to run, but I would run with him, and uh, we'd get to that last half mile, and we'd start to separate. Guess who was behind <laughs> me and we, we both knew the marker where we had to cross right out in front of our door we run, run around town down who knows how many streets zigzagging we had it all mapped out two or three miles and we knew about a half mile away was that point that we said we would finish and he's pressing on he's giving it more steam than he did when we first started he's going to finish well and I start dropping behind and I think I am going to quit right here it's only half mile I mean I've done I've done two and a half out of three. Isn't that good enough? And he's, he's huffing and puffing and blowing. I mean, can't hardly breathe himself. But just as we begin to separate about 20 yards ahead of me, I hear him yelling, Keep going! Keep going! Don't quit! We can do this! Keep going! Keep running! He knew I was falling behind. He was going to keep running. But he wasn't going to do it without encouraging me. It's one of the reasons why we covenant together is not... Is it not? Isn't that why we are a church family? Is that not why we have to be careful not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together? Because we need that kind of exhortation. Don't quit. Be faithful. Pick yourself back up by God's grace and get after it again. Doesn't matter you've fallen down in this commitment 25 times, 100 times. Doesn't matter. Get up. Finish well. 
You probably fall again. Doesn't matter. I'll be there. Get back up. There are going to be times when I'm down. Help me up. And we're going to finish. We have need of endurance. That's what we need. So we need to be careful not to give up too quickly. Remember the riches of future grace. Remember the promised reward. Look at verse 37. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. This is eschatology. This is the promise that Jesus is going to return. And with that return, he's going to bring the reward. The ultimate reward has been promised to all who overcome. To all who overcome. You might be saying, well, that's a new concept for me. Can you show me that in Scripture? Yep. Revelation. Let me just give you a couple of them. A few. Okay. Four. (laughs) Revelation 2.26. To him who overcomes, I will give authority to rule over many nations. Revelation 3.5. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will... Not erase his name from the book of life. And I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Revelation three twenty one. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write on him the name of my God. Revelation three twenty one. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne. And I, as I also overcame, notice, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. And then all the way at the end, Revelation 21, verse 7, He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. There's something that stands out with all of those scriptures. This is not, he's not describing a special class of Christian. He is describing all of those who belong to him. It's why we believe in the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. You will persevere if you know him. You will hate your sin. You will desire to be restored to fellowship with Christ. It will be your longing to get back up, even if you don't know how, even if you lack the motivation, but in your heart of hearts, you want to get back. You want to repent. You want to get moving again. You just may be confused, befuddled for a little while. Maybe you're believing the lie that God can't forgive you for this 100,000th time you've committed this sin. And yet He will. And you can persevere. He has given you everything you need to persevere. Get back up. Keep running. And this next wave that's coming your way, this surgery that's happening tomorrow or the next day or some whatever that you know is going to be around the corner or maybe you don't know and it sneaks up on you, you persevere. Sometimes all you can do is hang on. Hang on faithfully. and Get some brothers or some sisters around you to encourage you, to pray for you, it's why we have this whole prayer ministry. It's why I exhort you every week, fill out the prayer request card, drop it in the, in the plate. We want to know what's going on. We want to be holding up your arms. We want to be lifting you up. We want to be strengthening you and helping you. And we'll see that later on here in Hebrews. We're called to do that very thing. And perhaps this is what the author was thinking of when he said in verse 34, that they were willing to give up 
the seizure of their property. They were willing to endure the seizure of their property. Here's what he says. Knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Better than what? Better than whatever it is you lost. That's why Peter said, Lord, we've, we've left everything to follow you. And Jesus said, I, I tell you the truth. Everyone who has left houses, fathers, mothers, for my sake and for the glory of God will receive ten times as much now and in the kingdom. How now? Through the church. Through the church. How many times have we seen that when someone comes into financial straits, Someone else in the body says, I'll take care of that. Somebody loses their car. Somebody else steps up and says, I've got one you can have. Someone becomes sick. They can't cook for themselves or for their family. 25 25 women show up at the door with meals. Hope you have a freezer. You're going to be blessed so much you just can't hardly believe it. It's the church. Now and in the kingdom. They were in need of confidence. Confidence, endurance, same word. Not self-confidence, but Christ confidence. They needed an enduring, persevering faith because this is how the just shall live. Verse 38, he says, But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. This is not him saying, if he shrinks back, if he turns his back in a Hebrews chapter 6 manner, in a Hebrews chapter 10 manner, it's not, well, I still have fellowship with you, but I'm not pleased with you. No, it's you don't belong to me. Because my just ones, those who belong to me, will live by faith. I think many of us have a wrong view of faith. Many of us believe Faith in only a theoretical way because faith really is only a theory until it's exercised. If it's not being exercised, it's just a concept that you say you hold to. If you're not actually believing and trusting, if all you're doing is saying, that's why James says, if a man says he has faith, but he has no works, can that faith save him? We say a person has faith if he, says he, if he says he believes that Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the dead. But if that faith is not truly trusting God personally for anything significant, it is merely a theory. It's theology without any substance. And by the way, James says even the demons believe and they tremble. Real faith the faith that the Lord is pleased with is an active thing. It actually trusts God for what is needed. My kids and I love to rock climb, and last week I got carried away telling you some stories of my brother and I doing vertical spelunking and the terrors and difficulties and object lessons that came along with that. We love to rock climb. We spend a lot of money on equipment, make sure we do it safely. 
We do it with our friends. We have a good time. It's always fun to take people to Mineral Wells State Park, secure a line, double anchor it up, put on enough tubular web, webbing to uh, make it statistically impossible that anyone could actually fall to their death. And then I always like to ask, do you believe that this rope can hold you? And they usually say, I suppose so. And then I say, well, then let's get you harnessed up and put you over the edge. I tell you, beloved, that statement is often met by wide eyes, gaping jaw, and awkward silence. <laughs> and it's not uncommon for such a person, per, such a person to shrink back to take a few steps backward and say, I'm not sure. Can I see someone else go first? <laughs> if you want to have confidence that the rope will hold you, uh, and we always do this when we take people climbing, before we go over, or repelling, before we ever go over the edge, I send one of my boys, either Josh or Andy, and they don't hesitate for a second. They just, boom, 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 jump over. They just disappear. Where'd they go? They're at the bottom. And they enjoyed the ride. It was great. And you know what? Once you've seen somebody do it, then you think, huh, maybe I could do that. The author is saying, fix your eyes on Jesus. Because he jumped off long before you ever did. He endured much more than you ever did. And he was trusting in the same God that you're trusting in now. He persevered unto resurrection and glory. And you will too. You will too. Don't shrink back. You see, there's a big difference between faith that is a theoretical or theological faith and a faith that is a confident faith. Confident faith is one of the marks of a true believer. But if we shrink back... When the going gets tough, the Lord says, my soul has no pleasure in him. Why? Because the just shall live by faith. In other words, every moment of the climb, our complete confidence is in the rope of his former grace. That's why we have so much history in the Bible. Because we are shown again and again and again how faithful God was. And we have every reason to trust him. Every moment I'm thinking, Lord, you've always been faithful to provide the grace I needed in the past. Therefore, I will trust you for the grace that you have promised to give me in the next moment, in the next hour, in the next day, and in the rest of my life. As we learn in chapter 11, without faith, it is what? Impossible to please him. You say, what about all my theological knowledge? Doesn't amount to a hill of beans if it doesn't produce faith. You say, well, what else could it produce? Pride. Pride. Like every lost person. You may have just latched on to theology and it's become your idol. Like the Pharisees did. Without faith. If that doesn't lead you to trust Him when the going gets tough, you've got to humble yourself. Or you just got to not do something sinful while you're waiting on the Lord to be faithful as He has promised. 
You're in a world of hurt. We'll see in Hebrews 11 that the Lord disciplines those he loves, and that's why. These are strong words, I know, but the author has great confidence that the faith of the members of this little church that he was writing to, though it was being tested, would eventually prove to be genuine. Look at verse 39. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith in the preserving of the soul. He was confident that they wouldn't shrink back, that rather they would say, Lord, you've been so faithful to me in the past, how could I ever doubt you in the present? I have no idea what you're going to do. I have no idea how you're going to provide. I haven't a clue. It really looks bad. But you've promised. I had a brother tell me, I think it was it last week, some bills came due and uh, didn't have the money to pay for them. And decided, Lord, you've promised to be faithful. And so he wrote the checks, put them in the mail. A couple hours later, Mail came to him. Guess what was in the mail? Everything he needed. I was a member of this church. I could tell you probably 20 stories just off the top of my head that some of you folks have told me. I could tell you, I did tell you five or six last week just from my own life, how God had proved himself faithful. Trust him. I tell you what, the elders have to trust him. What are we going to do with this church? You realize there were almost 275 people here last week? And we only have 242 seats. What do you do with that? People were sick today. People were just dead from the camp out. I realize we've got seats this morning. Praise the Lord for that. Lord, what are we going to do? Build? We don't have the money for that. How do we do that? How do we take that next step? Joe reminded us in our early morning elders meeting in prayer time, Second Chronicles 12.20. The Israelites were facing their enemy. Second Chronicles 12.20.12, we find them praying, Lord, we are powerless. We know not what to do, but our eyes are on you. That was the story of Jehoshaphat. He put out the choir in front of the army. And they're singing, killed. I mean, some of our singing could kill the enemy as well, but they're praising God. God was enormously gracious to them. That's why that's written down. To remind us God doesn't need our help. He just requires our faithfulness. We often say, if you ask the elders, any one of the elders, how can we pray for you? Our answer will always be the same. Pray that God gives us the grace to be faithful in the next decision. The next struggle, the next difficulty, the next issue. Paul said to Timothy, at the end of his life, it wouldn't be long after this that he would be beheaded. It's best we can tell. His life would end. He knew it. He was coming to a close. And this is what he said at the end of his life. He said, I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded, I am convinced that he is able to keep all that I have committed to him 
against that day. I've trusted him with his promised reward. And I know he will be faithful. That's why Paul was able to do the things that he did. On the camp out this week, one of the brothers, uh, I want to embarrass him, he did such a great job doing the devotionals for us and uh, with object lessons. One of the object lessons was um, he gave several of us dads uh, a candy bar and had us take a piece of paper and write a promise to our children. And I said, what kind of promise? He said, oh, it doesn't matter. Anything that's, that's better than a candy bar. And had us fold it up and hold it with the candy bar with, our, with me. It was two of my little boys. And he talked to the boys and he said, now your dad has a candy bar and a promise. And you've got to decide, which one do you want? Which one do you think is, uh, is going to benefit you more? The candy bar or the promise? You choose. I had, I had well, two of my little ones. Are they here? No, I had Mikey and Wesley. <laughs> and uh, Wesley took the promise. And Mikey took the candy bar. <laughs> Mikey's five. But here's how it ended. Um, they're sitting there, and two of the other twin boys were over there, and they're munching down their their uh, candy bar, right? And I said, Mikey, you want me to open it for you? You know, the, the, the man who's leading this said you could eat it now. No, Daddy, no. I said, okay. Said, the other kids are eating theirs. You want me to open it? You, you know, you understand me? Uh, yeah, no, no, no. He stuck it up his sleeve until the end of the um, till the end of the talk. And afterwards, I said, do you still have that candy bar? Yeah. I said, where is it? He said, right here. I said, you want me to open it so you can eat it? He said, no. He said, Daddy, what was the promise? <laughs> I said, well, the promise is, and I opened it up, I promise to buy you any drink you want at Sonic. He said, here's the candy. God has given us so many promises. He's told us so many things. He's benefited us in so many ways. You remember the story of the man who found the treasure in the field, the man who was looking for the pearl of great price. It doesn't say that they had nothing of any value. It just says that they took all that they had and sold it. Why? Because there was something that was infinitely more valuable. That's why Moses did not take the privilege to himself of being called Pharaoh's daughter, but rather chose to identify himself, himself with the sufferings and reproach of Christ and counted that greater riches. He said to his soul, soul, you must believe. You must consider. You must reckon this suffering right now as greater riches than being part of Pharaoh's daughter's household and all the privileges that go with that. You must speak truth to your soul. That's persevering. That's saying, I know whom I have believed. I haven't a clue what he's going to do. But I'm convinced that he is able to keep all that I've committed to him against that day. You want to know how to build an unshakable faith? Here's the plan. 
in the day of trouble. Remember God's former grace. And resolve in your soul to trust Him for future grace. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we praise You for these precious promises and the truth of Your Word. So many of them. And that's why we read Your Word, in part at least, is to see the glory of our God who has promised sinners everlasting joy and blessing. Blessing our faithfulness, which we only do by Your grace. How good is that? You've been so kind to us. Help us to be faithful to You in response for Your glory. And for our own great joy, for we pray it in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.